Oh, hey there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 104 of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. It is Friday, December 22nd. If you're listening to this today, uh, if you're in the future or the past somehow, uh, then it's not today. But I want you to know that all of us here at Creative Writing are wishing you Uh, The most wonderful of holidays and happy holiday wishes, no matter what holiday you celebrate, what your traditions are. And one thing I just want you to know is if you could please this holiday season, give the gift that keeps on giving, which is tell your friends about creative writing. If you could, please, that'd be great. I will uh, come to your house and give you a big hug and a kiss. And the more you tell them about it, the more it helps us get discovered, the more great people we can have on the show. This week, particularly, was kind of a cuckoo week for us. On Monday, we were going to get together and record and get the show out you know, early for all you uh, people leaving town and whatnot. And I said, you know what? Uh, let's, let's do it. And my kid got sick. So she was sick uh, Monday. Feeling better now. Uh, Tuesday, we said, okay, you know, we didn't get together last night. You know, the kid's better, whatever. I'll come over tonight. Well, Wiggins' fuel line blew off of his diesel. So... He was stranded down in like the southern shambly parts of LA. So we said, hey man, let's get, get together Wednesday. <laughs> so we finally got together Wednesday, which is the night we normally record anyway. And Wiggins uh, was on baby duty and his wife was not around. So I, I went over to his house so he could keep an eye on the baby. And we recorded in some kind of unfamiliar settings. We don't often record over there. So you might hear us bumping the mic stands once in a while, but uh, we got the show out, we got it done, and it's ready for you today. So have fun, have a great listen. Like I said, happy holidays, and we'll catch you probably, I'm guessing, next week, and we're going to be getting ready for the new year. All right, everybody, have a good one. Take it easy. Yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, hey. This is episode 104 of the Creative Writing Podcast. Believe it or not. And now that I'm recording on both of them, I guess we can officially get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 104. Hello, everybody. And, uh, and welcome to episode 104. It's uh, it's me and my ghost, the Wigmeister, Wham and Wiggins over here. Oh, I wasn't supposed to repeat everything you said. You on this episode, you were. Remember, we were gonna make <laughs> we were gonna make this one. <laughs> repeater 104 with, with Chris and Junk. We'll get all these comments. I couldn't make it through 10 minutes. Yeah. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst one yet, even with number one, two, and three. <laughs> Uh, accounted for. So we got a few things to talk about on this episode. Um, That's a good list. Yeah. uh, You know, it's, it's here and there. First thing I wanted to get out of the way was the blurbs uh, that had kind of like not really news, but sort of Um, first things first was there's a lot of stuff going on right now with the fire still Thomas fire still eating up the coastline. Still going. God dang. And the Santa Ana winds are now forecast to go for like two more days. So that's pretty awesome. It was cloudy today though. So that kind of helps. Yeah. It was cloudy, but the red flag, the high winds, and I felt them when I was coming in, the winds are still like raging right now. So uh, that's not helping the fire at all. It's actually stoking the fire. But the thing I wanted to say was there's been a lot of, um, 
relief for the fire at uh, Living Spaces, which is a SoCal furniture store. You can uh, get a free mattress. Go to livingspaces.com forward slash fire relief. I thought that was pretty cool. If you lost your home in the fire or, you know, you're a fire victim. At any rate, <laughs> Living Spaces, they're going to give you some beds if you, uh, or a mattress at least. Um, and the, de- the details are on their website, livingspaces.com forward slash fire relief. Also, the San Gabriel Valley Lidas just had a meetup at the Bigfoot Lodge for fire. You know, they were doing donations and doing fire relief. Um, I noticed the iron and resin. If you're hearing this, it's Friday the 22nd. And, uh, Iron and Resin is doing a like a fire silent auction in Ventura at their at a I don't know if it's their headquarters or where it's at but it's a silent auction that benefits uh, fire victims and they also have a GoFundMe and I'll put a link in the show notes to that so they're helping out um, and hell they're in Ventura that was just uh, on fire like two weeks ago and it's just kind of spreading north so um, they're doing a lot of stuff plus everywhere around uh, that's the moto related stuff that's going on. Um, and, and a lot of the other places around LA are donating toys and stuff to all the little kids that like losing your house is bad enough. If you're an adult and you got to deal with all the insurance and property loss and all this and that, but a little kid like Christmas time is like the time of year you live for. So it's kind of cool to see all the, I I think as a parent too, like if you can, if that can be like given to your kid. Yeah, for I sure. I mean, talk about a huge weight off your shoulders. Yeah. Like, yeah, the the one time a year to have a, to lose everything you've had, like, you know. Yeah. This the fire could have happened around Thanksgiving and like, instead of Christmas, you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, it could have not happened at all. It would have been great. Uh, yeah. I know I'm being a facetious dick about all these people <laughs> losing their homes, but it, it's just, it is. It's like a rough time of year. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's kind of cool to see all that stuff going on. So that's the first thing I wanted to get out of the way was all the awesome support and donations and GoFundMes and, and all this and that. It's cool to see like people stepping up and, and yeah. coming together. And I think it's something, it sucks that this is why. Yeah. And it's not, like this isn't the only time people come together, but... You know, like you see so much stuff in the news, it's negative. Yeah. And like the fact that people step up and help out their neighbor is so cool. Yeah. I was thinking about on the way over here, this is kind of like our like Hurricane Harvey or mm-hmm. Maria or that's like the California wildfires. Absolutely. We get, them, we get them every year just like other places get tornadoes and hurricanes. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's good to see people in the moto community, especially coming together. Um, something else I wanted to say was, uh, last week on pit pass moto, uh, kind of going on along the lines of, uh, our next few episodes where we're going to be talking about the building bikes and stuff like that. Max Hazan, or I guess his last name is Hazan was on, um, uh, pit pass moto weekly and talking about his deal with, um, Anthony Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain's new show is kind of going around to, talk to people around different industries that are also like like uh edgy creators and so uh he ended up talking to hazan i guess he maybe a writer too anthony bourdain uh i guess rides i don't know i've only seen i saw like one episode of that show and it's super cool um it's about like people being craftsmen that's what it is and it's like i mean i think that's lost for a lot of people in today's society and they're like you know, why would you, Larry came over as I was like literally finishing up some knives that I made. And that was actually the episode I watched of that show. And it's like this really good kitchen knife maker. He's the only master 
knife maker in the U.S. that makes kitchen knives, and I think there's only three like certified masters anyway. His last name is Ginsu, <laughs> Mario Ginsu, <laughs> and uh, like one of the episodes is about like a tailor, and like I, I mean, people just want to go to Walmart and get like the cheapest, um, like just hey, this will do, and it, it's like there's so many people that pour their heart and soul into something, and. Yes, it costs money, but it's it's quality and it feeds a family in your neighborhood, you know. So I think it's great that Anthony Bourdain's like going around and promoting that. Yeah, and it's cool to see, uh, you know, when it's just rad to see a, a mainstream thing like that go to your industry and you can get excited about it. And it's not like the Chopper build-off or any of those other weird shows that they had that are like kind of cheesy. When if you think about it too, like – how do I want to word this? Like you think, so we'll say like the kitchen knife maker, like maybe that guy rides motorcycles. You don't, you, you know, you don't know, but if you support him and he does, then he's going to go out and buy a new motorcycle and spend money on accessories and support our industry. And then those people, you know, in theory are going to go out and buy good quality kitchen knives. And it's a circle of economics. Like it, it yeah. supports everyone. Yeah. Who knew that your knife was going to, uh, you know, support motorcycling. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing that I wanted to note about that episode is that he was talking about the motor, one of the motors that he's building right now, and it's a musket V twin. Do you remember anything mm. about that? Was that your favorite? Uh, <laughs> that was, my, was that the Royal Enfield musket? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was from our crazy motor challenge. So I thought, how appropriate that now we're going Do into. Do we need like, to tell them that that motor lost? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, if they haven't been listening, then we need to. So. Uh, just a, it's awesome to see things in on our show coming around in circles like yeah, too. That's, cool. that's pretty funny. Uh, also, I did want to mention uh, we've had a lot of listener feedback. We might talk about some of that today, and um, we do have mugs for sale on Zazzle. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I made us. I made a mug, put it on Zazzle. Uh, for every mug sold, I think I get nine cents or eighteen cents. So it's a start. I'm It'll, not gonna lie. If it's not you in bed with a bike, I don't know if I want to buy it. Uh, Emma has me beat, but it is me in bed with the bike, but the lights are off, so it looks all black on one side, and then on the other side it has the creative writing logo. So it is me in bed with the bike, but I turn the lights off. But it's a dark room. That getting... way the bike doesn't know what he looks like either. Yeah. <laughs> no one can know. Uh, so they're on Zazzle. The link's up on uh, the website and on the Facebooks. And I haven't stuck it on Instagram. I should probably stick it there. I mean, why not, right? But seriously. We could uh, probably get with Caroline and get a better shape, better cut. I know. I'm not being funny. It's like like nine cents a a mug. But I'm not either. Jeffrey Carver's got to be making more than nine cents a mug off off Caroline's mugs. God. So, so yeah. So, I'm going to – maybe I'll get with Caroline and and, – see what we can do but uh so i just wanted you guys to know in the christmas spirit you can buy yourself a mug and zazzle will take 99.8 percent of the profit (laughs) (laughs) but um but they're up there just for you to have one uh some cool things that i saw on this site called lifehacker which was how to support the article was called how to support uh creators that you love for free and it was just uh there's five simple ways that you can help somebody and I was thinking, hey, I just made this crappy mug uh, that's awesome, by the way. It's very worth every penny. And um, you should get 
couple of them and gift them for Christmas. But here's some ways that you can support the show for free. And it won't help us with hosting costs, but neither will the sale of that mug for nine <laughs> cents. In about eight years, I'll be able to pay for one month of hosting. <laughs> one microphone. Yeah, and one microphone. So um, five ways that you can help someone that you love for free is leave a review. And this is huge. This is actually huge. If you leave us a review in iTunes, it helps us get discovered, especially the way that iTunes got reshuffled around about four or five months ago. And I talked to several other podcasts about it because I couldn't even find podcasts that I subscribed to when I typed them into the search field. They fixed it, I think, a little bit, but they're still figuring stuff out. And just like Instagram and Facebook, how they figure out what you want to look at rather than letting you look at what you want to look at. And net neutrality, go back to our episode, Finding Neutral. Um, It all is kind of changing the way people are offered stuff. So if you leave us a review, it'll make us more visible and more people can find us. And uh, that's going to be how you have to find stuff now. Uh, sadly, like startups, I, I probably wouldn't have had this chance had I started the podcast this year. Uh, you know, luckily I'm a couple of years in, but please leave us a review because we're still uh, at the bottom of the heap. So <laughs> uh, leave us a review in iTunes and it'll help other people find us. Uh, go to a, a mailing list or social media. So I don't have a mailing list, but you can find us all over social media. Chris is all over social media. He's super good with the social medias. He's got SoCal underscore hooligans and he's always posting to that. And he's also got Wig09. Um, and he's always posting to that. Like he's got some really fresh picks and, up all the he's time. Also got, and he's also got. I have like five. He's got like five or six uh, that the government know about. The rest are super secret. Um, <laughs> They're on the gray web. On the gray web and, and dark web. You know, I, I uh, we'll see if Butcher listens to our show too. <laughs> but uh, I was listening to Butcher's show and, um, you know, he did, they talked about that. Like with Instagram, the way it got shuffled around, like likes are cool. Comments are actually super cool. Like the more you like and comment on photos, um, the uh, the algorithm, more, yeah. The more we get discovered, right? <laughs> it like posts it up in other people's explore and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, leave us leave us some stuff. If it's towards me, you can always like tag me in it. Word of mouth is not word of mouth anymore. It's more of word of share and word it of review. Like uh, definitely, social media has changed the way people are social. So uh, you have to do it through a review. Or a mailing list, and if you're interested in a mailing list, I could start one, but I really don't post newsletters or anything like that at this point. But liking us on the social medias and tracking stuff um, on all of them, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram, those are like, you know, that's enough, right? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, just check us out there. And uh, also, you can do a media request, which that sounds kind of weird, but if you go to an art gallery and say, hey, why isn't this artist here? Or if you go, uh, you know, if you're on a certain service like Podbean or TuneIn and you're like, hey, why isn't Creative Writing Podcast on here? They can look for it. So media request just means like whatever media you're searching out, your favorite artist or your favorite music or your favorite motorcycles, ask the source where you're searching for that and see if they can get it in for you and request that media be on uh, that platform. And as a side note, this week or last week, I submitted to TuneIn. So you should be able to find us on TuneIn and iHeartMedia and all the other stuff that they service. And if we're not on there yet, do a media request. Ask him why isn't this on here yet? I know he's put in his 
paperwork. So uh, number four is attend their events. So come on over to the studio and uh, <laughs> record with us. No, but we're out at Twisted Throttles. Uh, I always go to the flat tracks. That's where I interviewed Chris the first time. Um, Chris is going to a bunch of shows in 2018. Um, just to name a few, like one coming up is Flat Out Friday. You're going to be yeah. well, at Mama Tried show. Actually, first, uh, the one show. I don't think I'm going to the show, but I will be at the, the one race on Saturday. Um, so, you know, come say hi, come whatever. Um, and then I will be at Mama Tried and Flat Out Friday the following weeks, or two weeks after that. So I'll be racing on Friday, and I believe I will be set up selling on Saturday at Mama Tried. Yeah, he's going to be selling some pretty awesome so stuff. So if you need a custom knife, there you go. come hit me up There you spend go. your money with me. So buy their products and uh, attend their events. Um, and number five, tell them. Tell them what you like, and that's pretty simple. I love getting feedback from the listeners. Chris has recently jumped in and seen on Facebook we get a lot of action, and I know you're like, you don't probably peruse Facebook that much, but we get a lot of action on Facebook just because it's more of a, Instagram is kind of short in a way. I feel like people post on Instagram like they do on Twitter, like less than 140 characters, just a bunch of hashtags and shit. But on Facebook, people like sit out there and, and they'll type a bunch of stuff or they'll send you a GIF or something crazy like that. And so we get a lot of action on Facebook. And I did, uh, I checked out some of the Facebook posts today. It's weird the way Facebook does it too. Like I go to our page and it's hard to find like the recent post. Yeah. So I, uh, but I found some today. It was good. And it was good to hear like people's, um, positive and negative. Like I'm, I, I do, I don't know how I come off sometimes. Like I want, I, I want to hear like negative stuff too. Like someone was like about our electric show. Like it was hard to sit through the whole thing. Like we were in the Kool Aid. And I, I feel like I, I tried to not be that super biased towards it, but I'm also like, I'm super glad that that guy, called us out and told us that he didn't totally agree. And I, I think that it's cool that one, he listened and was honest and hopefully he still listens and still likes the show and be, be involved listeners. Yeah. That's five easy ways that you can uh, support someone without spending a dime. So a way you can spend a dime is buy some mugs off, buy about 80 mugs off a of Zazzle and I'll make about a dollar fifty, and that will cover your share of this month's hosting. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then you can resell them for as much as you want. I don't care. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, that's five, five ways. And that's, True. I mean, we have had a lot of cool stuff come up. Phil, actually from Cleveland Moto, was responding to our last episode with the zeros and the H2. He posted up the video that the guy did. The guy, if you watched that video, he was laughing so hard when he first started riding that thing. Yeah. Which is kind of how I felt on it. You know, the first. But you know what, Chris? It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. But here's the thing, too. And I know you were ripping on the last. I mean, because, yeah, you kind of were not as into it as I was. You were, you were a little bit more belligerent toward Crazy Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and you, were, you weren't drinking the Kool-Aid as hard as I was. But Phil was also on the DS, or on the, um, not the DSR, the SRs, which are like their like high-performance ones. So those ones have all the torques. I wonder, that yeah. H2 guy, I think that's why he was like screaming and laughing so much is because those ones do have feet pounds. And then to make a good point, I was thinking about the stoplight to stoplight you don't race that like you race a drag strip. It's true that at the drag strip, if you were to sit there at the line, you'd be revving it at the 
so usually the, it's stoplight. Like if you know the light's going to turn, you're going to do the same. With the Zero video, he the dude on the H2 would like honk and the Zero would twist the throttle and he would twist the throttle. Yeah. And of course the Zero is like, there is no clutch and it's pretty instant. I will give it that. Yeah. And it would like take off as he was revving and then trying to get yeah. the clutch out. I think so, that's that's the thing I was gonna say. From stoplight to stoplight, if you were to do, I forget what race it is, but there's a race where you have to start with your hand off the throttle. Oh, then a zero wins. And then as soon as the guy drops the flag, you drop it, or it's the clutch. I forget which one it is, but, but you, you know what? Kind oh, of, it's the clutch. You know what kind of race that is? Not a real one. <laughs> well, it's a dirt race. The one I saw. Yeah, you have to have your hand off the clutch because they don't have like a starting gate. And that's the thing. It was like an enduro cross or like a hair scramble. So instead of having a gate drop like at a motocross, you all have your hand up off the clutch and you're, you know, you're revving so your you're motor. Like neutral and you yeah, 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 yeah. And, and as soon as gear. the flag drops, you drop it and go. And it's amazing how many people take off at the same time. But I was thinking the same thing at a stoplight. You're sitting there, and and of course, as soon as you turn the zero, it's going to go because it doesn't have to rev up the torque. That's the difference between that we were trying to say with the electrics is that the torque's available, yeah, almost all of it instantly. And then with the any any ice bike, yeah, you rev you have it to up, rev it, yeah, and then dump the clutch, you know, mm. because otherwise, you know, it doesn't. I mean, that's how you take off fast. So, yeah, yeah. that I'll give you that. Like, I, I was thinking about it, too, and I was, like, at a drag strip. It was a little staged, but I, I at the flip side of that, like, he, if Phil's not joking around. Like, those zeros aren't slow. And we weren't even on the fast, the good one. No. So it, it was – and the laughing, I was having a blast on that bike. Like, yeah. I probably would have I'd still, I'd still get one. Now, the problems with electric – and it not being as clean as people say, there, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff um, about that, and we'll get into that. I don't want to like spend a whole another episode talking about electric vehicles because um, we probably could. We could probably me and you have already done it. Just sat here and <laughs> BS uh, almost a <laughs> yes, whole episode's worth have. of stuff unrecorded. But um, the thing is, is like we'll get into that in other episodes. We're gonna have our uh, gentleman in the industry that is. And in fact, like building infrastructure across America right now for companies to, you know, start making the move that they're doing in Europe. So we'll talk about that. And he knows everything from what it takes to put infrastructure in a city to like what the batteries take. And and like the he, I don't think he was around when the first electric vehicles were made back in the 1890s or 1870s. But he um, does has done several things on uh, EVs from the beginning till today. So, I mean, he, he's full of information, and we'll talk to him about the good and the bad and the ugly when that happens. Because, of course, with everything, I don't even think you can go out and pedal a bicycle and generate your own power out in the driveway without somebody having, like, a reason why it's not good for the environment. The rubber in your tire or on the it's, tires. It's or the, the food we eat and the, our, yeah. our poop's not clean yeah. enough. You ate it's a bunch of. A, you if ate you're a, a total vegetarian and your poop's good, but yeah. our poop's not good. That that burger that you ate to get <laughs> too many preservatives in our poop. Yeah, that burger that you ate to uh, make the, uh, you know, get yourself the calories to burn, you know, to to pedal cost us like eighty five acres because the cow had to eat, you know, whatever it is. But um, we'll talk about that in another episode. Um, cycle news. 
Cycle News uh, just announced their Rider of the Year, which was Jared Meese. I didn't get a chance. For two days, I've been looking at this because Cycle News comes out on Mondays, I think. So for a couple days now, I've been looking at it and didn't get to read the article yet. But I did see that he was their Motorcyclist of the Year. Ladies, I think he's in there with the shirt off uh, if you want to check out uh, what Jared Meese looks like. And... Um, Congrats to him, I think, probably because he's a hardworking dude. He's a new dad. He's a promoter also. He took over the Lima uh, Half Mile a couple years ago. And so I think that they're just recognizing that he's – and he's been on – he's been – he's won the – did he win the Super Prestige That's Brad Baker. He's been on the um, – Yeah, was this year the fifth Prestigio? Per- yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because Marquez is one too and Baker's one yeah. too. And 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 Meese actually was champion, wasn't he in 2015 champion? And then break, or, uh, Smith took it in 16, and so now he's in 17. Like he's been. If the, I'm not mistaken, before this year, actually, he was champion three times. Yeah, I think three times in four years. Yeah, I think it was him, Baker, him, him, Smith, and then him again. Yeah, I want to say that sounds right. He's a hard. I or mean, like Jake Johnson or something like that. He's but, a hardworking dude for yeah, sure. Yeah, so I think that they're recognizing all that stuff and as an ambassador for the sport and a, you know, he was a Harley rider. Now he's an Indian rider, just a guy that's supporting America. Like I think they're just uh, recognizing all that. That's total speculation. I haven't read the article, so they could have been talking about his rollerblading skills for all I know, but that leads us into uh, another flat track event. And that other flat track event is the uh, Super Prestigio. Do you know who won Super Prestigio? I do. USA, USA, <laughs> USA, 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 USA. <laughs> yeah. So JD Beach and Briar Bauman took one, two, uh, and I watched. I I missed it. I totally missed it because of the time difference, and I I misinterpreted what time it was going to be on. My fan's choice was like frozen. Oh, out. and and Wigan's fan choice was. <clears throat> I wonder, like, because I know at the beginning of the flat track season they were having troubles with bandwidth. I yeah, wonder it was if, terrible. If they had a large viewing and uh, had more troubles, mm, could have been. So yeah, at the beginning of the year they had some. T- they weren't. I don't think they were ready for flat track to blow up like it has because they've been covering it for a while with yeah. no problem. Like I was watching it in like 4K, you know, for the last two or three years, and then this year hit, and it's like, holy crap! Like, what happened? So yeah, that might—that's what might have been. Um, and so I actually, I watched the uh, replay on YouTube via some Spanish fan, and so I was able just just the main, uh, and so I didn't get to see anything else except for the main. But dude, uh, I want to say Tony Elias was out in front for a while. And but he won the open class, or uh, sorry, the actual prestigio class. Okay, because he's not a flat tracker. Yeah, but I was reading the article I read said that um, in one of the classes they allowed speedway riders. Uh, I'm not. I wish I would have seen it now. But um, I wonder. Uh, I wonder if any speedway riders ever get invited. Could you? And here's the thing about speedway. I don't think it carries back to flat track that easily yeah if you watch the style of speedway oh, it's, it's a, a totally little different bit different style. yeah i mean they're like pitching it sideways the whole time yeah. almost even it would straightaways be, yeah. almost it know? would be super cool to see someone like greg hancock or even you know, there's a lot of guys but yeah like, just to, like put them on a bike let them train a little bit yeah. obviously they understand the dirt and the surface and the oval so 
But there's got. I mean, Speedway is so huge in Europe. There's got to be a couple Speedway guys in there. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, Speedway is so weirdly specialized. It seems like Marquez wouldn't win that much if there was like a, a, a oval dirt tracker from Europe in there. You know, well, there's a lot. I mean, uh, Oliver Brimley. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how he did. And then um, there was like three or four guys from the DTRA. Yeah, including Brimley. Yeah, and uh, I guy I don't even know who the heck some of these names were that started out pretty good on the first couple laps and beach was like back and forth and it was like uh i want to say elias was in front and then cardenus or something cardunez i forget the guy's name but he was running first for quite a while uh and then actually jd like banged into uh elias i think to get around him and he seriously put like the shove on he put like he, he jammed him like jared meese like jamming jd what's he go by jiggy dog but he he put the jamming jamming jiggy dog jamming jiggy dog on him for sure dude he's he straight fed him a freaking i think bauman did too on the last lap to get up yeah in the second. they didn't show bauman it, it showed him in third the whole time and that card news guy i want to say was in second and then uh so they're flying around and then jd crosses the finish line and the next thing you know you see this red jersey behind him and that it was bauman and i was like it didn't if it showed him it must have been in the background but you know one two a good way to finish so i was pretty pretty stoked about that pretty excited it's really cool too to see like one it's cool to see such a large event like that is could possibly be the largest flat track event of the year and it's not even in the United States. Yeah, I know. Well, the most and the most uh, viewed worldwide, and the most prestigious. Yes, it's <laughs> it's super prestigious from what I hear. Oh, I got horrible jokes all yeah. day. Hey, you're a dad now. You're allowed at least twenty five dad jokes a day. <laughs> I think the dad joke quota never never stops. <laughs> it's awesome, but um, but yeah, no, I I like that it takes. Um, if you watch the race of champions ever that uh, to me, that's awesome. That takes people from all these different car backgrounds and puts them in this arena, driving the craziest vehicles. Some of them are like the Tarek. Some of them are like little dune buggies and they're on this mirror track. So it's the same length, but it's like not one track goes up and over and the other track goes under and then it crosses over itself somehow. And so they're driving the same exact tracks, same exact cars and you'll see rally drivers, Formula One drivers, um, you know, all sorts. I don't know if there's motorcyclists in there. I think there maybe there are, but NASCAR guys. I mean, everybody from every motor or uh, car discipline from around the globe gets to do this race against each other. And it's uh, to me, that's what the super, super prestigio is. I wish it were more on like a um, TT course or something with like a little bit more. Well, it, they used to have the super bikers that was like oh. the, the beginning of oh Supermoto, and that's exactly what it was. And that was yeah. like when Supermoto evolved into Supermoto from the super bikers, like yeah. it was meant to be. Like that's why there's a dirt section and pavement and a, a easy jumps, but and that's why you're on a dirt bike, but with slicks, like you're. You're trying to incorporate all those disciplines together all at one time. Um, so that's kind of how like that started. Super Prestigio, it's cool that they bring everyone together, but then I feel like it's a very specific discipline. Yeah. Where Supermoto was meant to incorporate as many disciplines together as possible. Yeah. And do you remember they called it 
Super TT for a while. I think I don't remember if it was an X Games event, not X Games, just like pre X Games, but something I like think that. It was, yeah, there was like Super TT. Nikki Hayden raced. They called it Super TT, and I remember seeing him and um, crap. I don't even remember. Like I don't even remember if it was Troy Bayless or who, but they were on these bikes, and I remember looking at them, going, "Are those sport bikes?" And then Buell made the Buell uh, XB12 TT or whatever it was for for a while or and uh it was supposed to kind of be like one of those like supermoto but a 1200 you know but yeah that was that was legit and the shit and uh, <laughs> i wish they would bring something like that back that had road racing and dirt jumping and then they could ha- even have like a flat track big sweeper yeah, like, a, did, like, like a, a big left sweeper on the dirt section dude like daytona when they raced the the 200 yeah they have the infield and then they go out on the banks and yeah. go around and then come back into the infield. That would be awesome. So you get supermoto, road racing, and uh, flat track in there. That would uh, that would make my day. Yeah, if you could do like a big wide dirt sweeper into like a little dirt, you know, rhythm section or a couple tight turns and then like a nice little pavement section, it could be a super cool supermoto race. But I think the problem there is like promoting and getting everyone together and. Speaking of promoting and getting everyone together, how about a quick word from one of our sponsors? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Hey, everybody. Christmas time is just around the corner. If you need something for that motorcyclist in your life, a little stocking stuffer or something to stash under the tree, head on over to dailybikerstore.com. Daily Bikers Dan has got gift cards, birthday cards, stickers, magnets, books, notepads, cushion covers, gift wrap, all sorts of stuff for that biker in your life. Right now, featured on the homepage, he's got a motorcycle gift card there for $5.16, original European cushion for $23.02, and the uh, motorcycle coloring book, 33 pages of awesome motorcycle artwork for you to color however you see fit. Uh, that's for $7.94. Why the crazy uh, prices, you ask? Well, it's Australian dollars, baby. So when you transfer it over to U.S. dollars or Canadian simoleons or uh, British pounds, it's going to be a little bit different in each market. Regardless of the price or regardless of what you pay with, be it beads, pelts, or actual coins, go over to dailybikerstore.com, grab something for that special biker in your life today. Merry holidays. All right, all right, we're back. Thank you, Dan from Daily Bikers, who is an easy sponsor and promoter of the show to get. Uh, go to dailybikers.com uh, or dailybikerstore.com. Check out some of those uh, stuff we talked about. It's way too late for Christmas now. If you're hearing this, you're probably listening to this on Christmas Eve. I know how you guys are. And uh, you guys don't listen till Monday after the show comes out. So, um, yeah. So <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. Um, so yeah, the, the sponsors and promoters, the Super Prestigio, you were saying... Oh, I, I feel like the Supermoto, that's where it, it kind of lacked. And that's, a, I mean, that's a hard part, but I feel like the Super Prestigio right now is so big because of Marquez's involvement. Because he brings that name to the table. And I think if you look at this year, if you looked at the stands... They weren't packed, and I think they have been in previous years. Like, people go to the race because they want to watch Marquez, you know, and which is awesome. 
I mean, good for him. It's good for flat track. It's good for the event. And I think that's where Supermoto is kind of lacking. And I think, you know, when Nikki Hayden was doing it a little bit, it really helped the sport. Um, Jeff Ward, guys like that, like it, it really helped pull into it. But I agree. Like, I think that would be more the ultimate super bikers challenge. So let's get some promoters into that and yeah. figure it out. I know. I was just thinking if, if Nikki Hayden hadn't passed this year, um, I, I feel like he because he didn't have the grand slam the only thing he was missing for flat track was like it was either a mile or a short track i forget but there was only one thing that he didn't win or maybe it was a tt i, I bet you that's what it was no, like, he won the springfield tt oh did he so remember him and his brothers went one two three. Oh, so it was it must have been a mile a mile because he didn't really race like yes he was a pro flat tracker but he was it was never I think anyway, at the time that he was, it was not his focus. Like he was already on sport oh, yeah. bikes and he was already making money doing that. Yeah. So, but that's how he grew up and he was obviously a talented rider. So with, with Josh Hayes being at the super prestige of the Americas with Tony Elias showing that road racers can be out front there. Um, and with JD beach, obviously showing that he can road race and flat track. Hell, he came in third at Paris. He did a hell of a job this year in the, uh, Moto America series. And I think it really would have inspired Nikki to maybe put on something like this in the Americas. Cause the super prestige of the Americas 2015, where did it go? Like it hasn't been back. Yeah. I know? think from being a part of that, just racing it and stuff, I think, it didn't get the turnout in the stands that it needed to keep going. Speak, yeah, speaking I, of sponsors and support, yeah. right? Yeah. And I mean, it was at an expensive venue in an expensive city, and it was. And I don't remember. I mean, being there, I don't remember what it cost to get in, but it wasn't cheap. And it so it wasn't cheap. Yeah, and that. I mean, obviously, like with racing, like that was all in my racing fee, but it was kind of pricey, and that that was a bummer. You know, um, I had to ride a 250 over there just to afford gas <laughs> to be able to go over and watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer. I, I feel like, uh, man, I mean, what a hero to the sport. And if, you know, he'd still be around after retirement, like how amazing. I mean, you know, you dream of someone like that, like showing up at a flat track event. Right. Um, you know, he was always like, because he was always so deep in so many different forms of it. Yeah. And people so. have been talking more about him lately, obviously since he passed. But I mean, people, I think he was getting like a little bit more news uh, this year. And, and since he's passed, it's so funny. People have gone back to his flat track days. And I think if they would have done that like this year, particularly now that flat track has like, Obviously, 2017 has been like with Michael Locke be coming on and like totally changing the format to like a more fan understandable mm -hmm. format. And with uh, it becoming so popular and the hooligan series becoming so popular. And, and now that there's actually like a hooligan um, circuit, if you will, like with all these like independent mm -hmm. shows that are like a bunch of cool guys that used to love to do it. And now that it's popular, holy cow, now we've got like a. A platform to do it with i think we would have maybe seen somebody who could come in like that and make a super prestigio of the americas and maybe even a super bikers like yeah since he did that before you know before it wasn't called super bikers but that would have been really awesome hey if you 
also, I used to go to Carlsbad all the time and uh, with my friend to drag race and just watch the drags. I never realized that my boss would always talk about it because he was an old guy that raced Carlsbad. And we'd see dudes doing the motocross track, and, and he'd talk about Carlsbad and the honey di- milk and honey days. I never knew what he was talking about because I was a little kid when all that stuff was going on. But I went back and I watched Super Bikers on YouTube. And, um, yeah, the front, the drag strip, it was like the front strip. Straight yeah. that went down to the motocross track and the motocross section, and they were—I mean—they were just. Sm- I can't even tell you how fast they were going on these <laughs> things, and they looked like flat track bikes because they just had the number plate on the front, yeah, and they had a flat track like stance and tires. I think the original one was flat track tires on, and it's kind of ironic, like it was on dirt bikes of the time, and that were kind of just like flat trackers. Yeah, really. and it's what's funny about it is at the time there was no like. What the 450 classes now started um, when I got into flat track and was no good at it and only tried it a couple times. But when my cousin was hey, that's racing, me now. right? <laughs> when my cousin was racing, it was a it was called the DTX class, and you took a dirt bike and put 19s on it, and it evolved when the 450s hit as a four stroke, and they made the power and the weight that they do. That's it evolved into basically the pro singles, but um, that's what the super bikers originally were. But to me, it's ironic because. It wasn't a popular flat track bike at the time, <laughs> but the super bikers were basically on a DTX flat track bike. Yeah, with the front brake. Yeah, and you could you could see that it wasn't like a motocross bike. It wasn't even set up. Most of them weren't. And I forget the name, the guy's name. See, I watched Magoo. Freddie Spencer. Someone won the one that was in Carlsbad. I've watched that YouTube video. It was some big road racer at the time, wasn't it? That's what on I want to say. Is that yeah? See, I think it was a dude on a Honda, and then Danny Magoo. Chandler came around and like did one of his crazy moves past him in these hay bales and they were like nicking hay bales at like 120 miles an hour or something like that down that front straight and um right toward the dirt somebody was on a I want to say somebody was on like a XR750 too or something like that like I forget exactly what the hmm. motor class size was but go watch that stuff and then see if that's something that you would want to see brought back the problem with today's things like you said it has to get a huge following where it had it back then people are like going away from bikes and cars nowadays but you i think you'd be pressed to find a place where you could even do that uh, i think this day and age supermoto is kind of your best like starter bet for that and i supermoto's i think kind of on an upswing right now like it was really good in the early 2000s and kind of died off but it's kind of coming back a little bit you know like you know everything does and flat tracks doing it but Honestly, like I've raced some Supermoto. If you like sport bikes and you don't have a lot of money, Supermoto. Yeah. Like it's so much fun, so much cheaper than taking a full-size sport bike to the track. And then if you do go to like a tight track, like if you're out here and you go to Streets of Willow, like you're going to be all over sport bikes, passing them in the corners, and they're going to be so bummed. But yeah, I don't know why people just must not enjoy watching it or something. Yeah, and I feel like right now the AMA Supermoto, I follow them on uh, Instagram and I follow, you know, I, I joined up with their page and I followed them because I thought I love Supermoto. I loved watching all that stuff, but like you said, there it seemed to have died off. A lot of the stuff that the AMA handles seems to have died off. And so AMA handed flat track over to AFT, and I guess they maybe still run it, but the same thing with like road racing. AMA just. It's an organization that does riders' rights and organizes races and does all this stuff. And I don't know if they have the proper 
like channels filled out if it's just too big of an organization to worry about like sanctioning events because it's like the American version of the FIMs or it's like the American arm of the FIM sort of and so it's important for them to handle and, and run certain things and be involved with it but at the same time it's like they weren't doing a, such a great job and I feel like Supermoto and Hill Climb and is Motocross still AMA? Uh, I, I feel like there's I think so yeah and I feel like, yeah, and, and it's like the stuff that they're doing is like not, it's like on a decline, or it was. And until some they, of it's separate AMA. Like last year when uh, Flat Track was AMA, it was actually a totally different organization. So if you're like an AMA member, it had nothing to do with who ran the Flat Track. It was owned by the same people that own it now. They just changed the name, to my knowledge anyway. I could be yeah. a little bit wrong or a lot wrong. Yeah. And I think that they given given road racing to Moto America and Cra the Crave Group was smart because it went from five races when the AMA had it into like, are we going to have like a 2013 season? To yeah. Crave has brought it back up over the past couple of years. They actually have kept the Daytona 200 running, and like they've made American like JD Beach is still running. Um, the Hayden uh, Roger Lee is still running. So I mean, and Josh Heron, like there's a lot of guys that are that are still doing it because they've brought it. They didn't let it just be a five-race season. I mean, that's yeah. so ridiculous. We're never going to get any world-class racers if we have five freaking races over 12 months of, you know, I think it's rideable. hard. I think um, from a racer standpoint and a blue-collar worker standpoint and someone that lives in California, <laughs> um, you know, racing is one of those things that's expensive. And you, if you let it get out of hand money wise it makes it really hard for people to get into you know like think of a form of racing that you can get into with say 10 grand which to a lot of people sounds like a lot of money yeah like you could go amateur flat tracking you could go amateur supermoto um you could go do some track days. I don't think uh, you could maybe do some armor racing and you, some yeah. like SV650 class, or like armor wear or local regional racing. You could get but into, with, but you're not going to get into like a and pro even with Wira, you got to look at what class you can get into. It's still going to be like a little SV650 class or maybe an old Super Twins, like you could pick up an RC51. But even with Wira, if you want to go race 600s or thousands, you need a brand new bike. You need how much money in suspension work, how much money in, you know, and you got to think of the hours you're putting in it. Even if you have that 10 grand, you need an extra set of wheels. You need how many sets of tires. tires. You need tire warmers, generator, uh, the leathers and stuff. I think, you know, you're going to have that in anything. Um, yeah. And one crash and there you go. You need to buy a new yeah. $1,000 set of and, leathers or whatever. You know, if. Yes, if you're just starting and you're racing a class with 1,000cc sport bikes, you don't need motor work. But if you're trying to run up front and you're that talented, you need motor work. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's definitely, and flat track's the same way. Like, an XR750 is 20 grand used. And then you got to rebuild the motor after how many races and know someone that. Every race, if it's an XR, apparently. <laughs> right. And know someone that is capable of rebuilding that motor the right way so it doesn't come apart on you and cost you that you know in parts every time um a new indian motorcycle is 50 grand and it's competitive but you know that's how that's a, that's it right out of the box i still not like tweaking it oh, yeah it. i mean you know well, and that's you still don't have leathers and you still haven't went to a race so and i mean 
yeah, anyone that's like, I want to get into racing, you're not going to go get a, a new Indian twin or an old XR 750. Like you're going to go pick up a dirt bike with 19s or even without and convert it yourself. And you're going to be in three or four grand. And you're going to start at the Southern California Flat Track Association or the California Flat Track Association. And you're going to like do regional road racing or like Chuck, Chuck uh, Walla has a its own class out there and it has yeah. like an it has like a league for like 250s or the also the mini bike racing league like you can get into leagues for cheap but that's you're not you're not going to be on TV that's for sure like, and and if you go and you're talented and you can run up front at these local events how much more does it cost to go to a pro event and i if you look at like moto america what does it cost or take to go to one race as a pro and then what kind of sponsors do you need and what are you getting out of it? And I mean, it sounds silly, but everyone talks about hooligan racing being popular. And the reason it's popular is the bikes were cheap. And really the reason that one thing that really, really helped us out when we were starting, like I called up, I didn't even know anyone. I met one of the lowbrow guys and he was like, Oh dude, we got this new tsunami fender. He's like, send me an email next week and I'll send you one. I knew the speed merchant guys, but they were like, yeah, let's put this on your bike. And it just kind of like, it, like that's the stuff that happened. Like the Biltwell guys, like Butcher got hooked up with them. And it was so easy because people could give us product. Yeah. Like that's no, hard to do in a lot of racing. Yeah. The higher up you go and the more expensive stuff becomes, it's going to be hard for somebody to comp you a $20,000 of motor work or something like well, that. And if you're going Moto America racing on a brand new CBR 1000, Olin's doesn't care who you are. Yeah. Like that was the benefit with like built wells. Like, yeah, dude, I'll send you some handlebars. And because they didn't have anyone on the racetrack with them. Yeah. Like if, I mean, the grassroots racing, like you finding that niche is what really helped hooligan stuff. But I don't know. Racing's expensive. And I think from a promoter standpoint and even a televised standpoint, like you have to look at what does it cost to get a rider to the track and then what can we do to put on a good show to have someone watch it? Yeah. And there's, uh, if you listen to Pit Pass Moto, a lot of their stuff is, they and they've talked to industry experts. I mean, that whole show, that whole radio show is like industry experts and racers always call in and, and give their opinions. All of them say pretty much exactly what you said. And then the the next thing is that it's cost prohibitive to buy a dang motorcycle anymore. He's like, you know, one of the guys on this week's show is talking to him. He's like an old... Uh, AMA district manager or something like that in Iowa or the Midwest somewhere. And he said, you know, back in the seventies, everybody owned a mini bike. Everybody just had, you just, when you were a kid, you had a mini bike and then you got like a little motorcycle nowadays. And I've looked and and I made the comparison on a a few, I don't know, it was probably like 20 episodes ago now, but that Japan, that Chinese company that's making electric vehicles like that look like a Mazda three and it costs 7,000 bucks. And then you look at a brand new, uh, TT250, you know, or something like that, or a, a WR250, and they're like $8,000. And you're like, dude, the Japanese or the Chinese are making this $7,000 car, yeah. or I can buy a 250 for my kid for the weekend, like race yeah. on the weekend. So, you know, and 7000 bucks for a dirt bike it is like a new Rebel 500 for the street. So it's like, well, do you want to commute or do you want to, you know what I mean? So it is, it's hard, it's getting harder. And I think the, the whole disposable income is a tough, like our whole country right now. Like if you think about it, like 
our parents and especially our grandparents, like they were all single income households. Yeah. Like I know very, very few people now that are single income households. Yeah. So it's like, I, I think that's a lot to do with it. Like we, we were able to have more disposable income um, and that's kind of fading away. And you have people that are like diehard, like they're going to make it work and, and good or bad. But I mean, that's kind of how people are. And a lot of people growing up aren't, they didn't grow up around motorcycles, so they don't see like what it is. But you know, we're, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, I heard it somewhere else. And they're like, they're talking about how millennials are focused on experiences. Yeah. So, and that's been on several different shows that I've heard um, yeah. from like ranging from like economics to the motorcycle industry. Uh, I've heard it over and over. There are less about there, uh, less millennials are driving cars, and less of them want to drive cars because it's scary. And uh, that's automated cars are like gonna make that you know nobody's gonna buy a motorcycle when you can buy a car <laughs> that drives you around and you can yeah. you know so that's why BMW and all these ones that we say are concepts now are looking toward the future. Going yeah, people aren't gonna want to really ride they're going to want the motorcycle to do most of it for them and uh so yeah it's this whole changing thing um i I read some i think today or yesterday about um there's a group of guys getting together and i don't remember what they're calling themselves but it was like someone from indian and like these these like big motorcycle like big wig people right and they're getting together and like they're looking at the industry and they're trying to figure out like what can we do but the first thought in my head was how many of those guys are under 40 or even Dude. more so under like, okay, all you guys talk about is millennials. How many millennials are in that? Yeah. <laughs> in that group. That's true. You might, you might want to go ahead and get your <laughs> target audience there. Like, yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see, to see that. Like, it's always funny to see the people that have no idea, but they're the ones that come up with this illusion. Yeah. They're the they one that come know. up with all the policies and everything. Yeah. I'm going to turn this down real quick. Too. Okay. And, uh, which just reminds me of like Washington all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, let's, uh, let's make, some... we know what's good for the working man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a working man, but I know what's good for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it is, it's very much uh, a weird, a weird thing because I honestly don't know that many millennials that are, <sighs> that are out there riding. I mean, there are, there are kids, there are still people that are like, Listen, I got to get my kid off these video games. I got to get my kid off the dang phone. I'm going to take him out to the track. Whether it's BMX, it doesn't really matter to me. Like BMX, motocross, you're giving them a skill that they can turn into uh, commuting at some point. And down the road, they're going to be able to, uh, you know, dirt will translate over better to street and all that stuff. And then they can still be one of those like off-roads racers or, you know, potentially... Even, I don't know. I just, I don't know why I'm, I'm so into it for the two-wheel thing, just because I think that it's going to be your freedom. You really are going to be in a cage. Uh, I mean, I know we we call cars cages, but you literally are going to be in a cage in, uh, you know, a couple decades here. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, switch gears really quick and um, talk about stuff that we do know about. I want to get into our, uh, our five-week... This isn't the motor challenge, but this is the build challenge. And with Christmas coming up, um, nobody's really submitted anything that they want for Christmas. So uh, we're going to talk about this week on our build challenge. We're going to talk about 
the garage? Where do you start? Before we get into like, yeah, you get in there and you take off the wheels and you bust off the handlebars and the headlight and then you dig into the electrics. We're going to start talking about where do you do all this stuff? Because ironically, not to knock you off subject, but some other stuff (laughs) I've kind of read or like people have talked about, like a lot of millennials that are getting into motorcycles, they're getting into older motorcycles Mm -hmm. and they're wanting to fix them and work on their own, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because we feel like that generation, even our generation, which is, I think technically still millennial, but yeah, you might be a millennial. I'm, I'm well, you're like a senior citizen. There's that one's way different. You're like generation world war one. I was going to say, what are they, what's the generation before the greatest generation? (laughs) Um, I'm a, I'm an industrial revolutionist. (laughs) But so that's like an interesting thing that I've like, I've heard and read a little bit about. So it's interesting that we're talking about like who's buying and not buying motorcycles. And then we're like, Oh, if you have a winter project. So yeah. Well, and true that, I mean, yeah, if you're a millennial, you're probably out there buying an old Harley because that's all I see on Instagram anymore. (laughs) Like people trying to scoop up like a 76 shovel head. Like I want something from when my dad was born. But so let's talk about that. Where do you, uh, where do you start? My garage is a mess. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah. Hey, and I'll help you. Did you say my garage is a mess? No, I just said, Hey, yeah. (laughs) Yes. What? (laughs) I'll agree with you. But here's the deal is that, yeah, uh, I, took apart a Datsun 510 motor in my bedroom back when I lived in an apartment and I didn't have a garage and I rebuilt that sucker and uh, there's been several times where I didn't actually have a garage. Um, Luckily when I was a kid I grew up on a farm but I was a kid I didn't have cars yet (laughs) but my uh, my grandpappy sure uh, kept that farm so I could go and store them out in his barn and so there's several times I worked on a my 510 I worked on a Dodge Coronet I wish I would have had motorcycles uh, to work on because they're far cheaper uh, than you know than cars but there's some times where you got to borrow your friend's workspace or you just got to like I did with the 510 rebuild it in your bedroom if you don't have you know if you have 18 cars out in your grandpa's barn and you can't fit any more in you're gonna have to build one in your crummy apartment complex I'm lucky enough to have a garage now, but even some people that have garages don't want to get it messy with their tools or like maybe it's not as secure as maybe another place like Chris Singsheim. He has his garage set up in a storage unit at uh, 4332 uh, Akhenaten Way up there in uh, Wabesha, Wisconsin. And uh, I think the locker number is 14 or something like that. And... uh, (laughs) The combination, the combination of the lock is, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. So he works out of a storage garage. He takes the, you know, he's got the overhead lighting. He's got everything he needs in there, and he doesn't have to worry about people breaking into his garage at home, and he doesn't have to worry about getting the floor all messy and like thrashing his house garage. So that's always an option, and maybe it's closer to his work. I have no idea, but. That's one option. Work in a storage facility. Most of the time, they're totally against that, but what they don't know won't kill them. And when you're in Wisconsin, I'm guessing six months out of the year, the door's shut because outside it's uh, like freaking the North Pole. Anyway, so there's one option. You can get a storage unit if it's cheap enough and you have a motorcycle, which you probably need the smallest one available. There you go. And and uh, if you don't, how many times we hear like in the 70s and 80s, uh, like all these knuckleheads that kids want to buy now and all the panheads and stuff that they're trying to scoop up, 
uh, those things were probably rebuilt in someone's bedroom or kitchen at the time because that's just kind of what you did in the 70s or 80s. You know, you slap your old lady around, drink a beer, kick the dog, rebuild your motorcycle in the sink. Um, now, you say your garage is a mess, and I, I won't lie, but what do you think you need? What like What's the basic like minimum? You're, if your garage is so messy, you still work on bikes. How do you do it? I mean, you've got to have something in there that... Uh, you- oh, I have a lot in there. That's the problem. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is the minimum. You just you basically just need space enough for a motorcycle, right? Like, let's let's start out with that. Yeah, uh, that's good. Um, are you saying, like, what do I need? I need yeah. more. I need shelves. Okay, that's a good. And shelves, actually, if I were to make a purchase, and this is the first thing I bought when I left our old house that had like a garage where I, it had like an unfinished garage. So it had like the uh, two by fours, you know, and um, the frame was exposed and I hung shelves on that. I thought you had like oil and filters and stuff on like, they're all uneven on the two by fours. (laughs) That too. I did have some of that going on. I had a battery rack that was just like the cross beam, cross brace. But, um, but yeah, no. And I had stuff hanging from the rafters there too. And I would would hang stuff because that's like the ultimate place. Like headers. Oh dude, that's what, if you don't have motorcycle headers hanging from your rafters, you're not a motorcycle. Yeah. I had headers, (laughs) I had handlebars and I think I had some fenders hanging, hanging. And, um, so yeah, I had a bunch of stuff. This All my extra Facebook stuff. Facebook challenge: send us pictures of your headers hanging from your rafters. Ooh, there you go. Post it on our Facebook or Instagram. Well, tag us on Instagram or post it on our Facebook wall. Yeah, and so that's like almost all you need is uh, basically just some just some space. And then if you've got a garage like that, like what we did, you hang stuff here and there. You hang stuff everywhere, and shelves. That's one of the first things I bought. When we when we moved house and uh, my new garage is finished, it's all nice and drywalled. It even has sprinklers and air conditioning. Woo! And the first thing I did was I went and bought shelving because that, aside from just enough space for your motorcycle to park, that is the one thing that's going to keep you from throwing your sleeping bag, your jacket, your baby car seat, your helmet, um, your old canoe, your freaking bodyboard. If you're in the Midwest, your 18 snowsuits and your boots, you're going to throw everything on that stupid motorcycle because you don't have a place to put anything. So you get some shelves, you get yourself three shelves. Two of them are for your motorcycle stuff. One of them is for that crap that you were going to throw on the motorcycle. Bob's your uncle. I think that's a Midwest saying, Bob's your uncle. And uh, so there you go. I agree with with Chris. Must be an Arkansas saying. No, that's the sheep's your uncle. But uh, (laughs) Bob's... (laughs) The sheep's your uncle. I thought it was, you know why you wear knee-high rubber boots? Yeah. You put the sheep's back legs in them. Yeah, that's true. Dance around. I did that a couple times. I'm not sure it was for dancing, but maybe Arkansas and Indiana are different. Yeah. In Arkansas, we you got you to gotta dance with the lady first before you uh, try to make the moves. You got to show her a good time. <laughs> but, but shelving. I agree with Chris 100%. He wins this round of the Build Your Garage Challenge. No, just kidding. We, we, ought to, we ought to come up with the Build Your Garage <laughs> Challenge, though, so I could lose that one, too. That'd be fun. Oh, but, no. I, I'm way behind in that yeah, one. Yeah. But I agree. Shelving, 100%. You have tons of shelving. I have shelving in my, my garage. Uh, if there's one thing you do, just buy a small, small shelf, because if nothing else, it'll give you a place to set stuff, and then one of those shelves can be your workbench if you don't have space mm-hmm. enough for a workbench. Um, you're going to want some place to suspend stuff from, but before I talk about suspending stuff, let's uh, have a little, take a little break here, re- regroup, get our thoughts together. Mm-hmm. 
right, we're back. I was just kidding about suspending stuff in your garage. You went, you went Wait, suspended. did I send you the video when I changed the tires on my Ducati? No, but you should. Uh, I don't know if it's on my phone anymore. I literally took tie-downs and suspended the whole bike from the rafters <laughs> because I wanted to change both tires at once. Yeah. And I didn't have a... I don't have a rear rack or a rear stand for my duck, and I can't just hold it on the front one. Yeah. <laughs> so I took the seat off, hooked the straps to the subframe and straps around the forks, and I threw them up over the rafters, <laughs> and uh, it worked. Yeah. Don't try that with some houses because you will pull the roof in. But uh, I have a pretty old, sketchy garage. I was. <laughs> you tested it. I was Did you put a, little, a swing first? I was a like, little nervous. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm going to come back tomorrow and my duck's going to be laying on the ground with no wheels on it. So it's like, I can't even pick it up. I'd have to push it over. And yeah. Put the wheels on it. Yeah. That's rad. So that's where a center stand comes in. I, uh, I've i done lots of stuff on my bike. I know none of your bikes have a center stand, but all of mine do. My CB400 had one, but I took it off. Yeah. Or two of mine do, I guess. Uh, yeah, and then I had a dirt bike that didn't have a center stand at all, and that's a pain in the butt. Then you got to buy like one of those little like. Did it even have a side stand? Things. No. It's even more of a pain in the butt. Yeah, it was literally the the nice thing about that is that I learned that I could uh, deadlift like three hundred pounds or however much it weighed, <laughs> and then uh, you know, once I got rid of that bike, I got weak real fast because like I had no need to lift three hundred pounds anymore. <laughs> but so yeah, uh, shelving is number one. That suspension crap, I don't even know what we were talking about there. I was trying to do a rad segue. Fail. But um, suspension would be my number one thing and a workbench. and Or suspension. <laughs> shelving. And, and a workbench. Um, my workbench, I've used it for like so much different stuff. I've used it as a welding jig table before because um, it's a metal, just a piece of galvanized metal, and you can just sand that crap off and weld right to it. Um, I use it for a... Uh, a pipe bender and I've crafted a, a wooden pipe bender and I showed Chris these books these old school books from like the turn of the century all the way to like the 40s is like probably the most new they get or maybe for the, the 80s for those of you kids that don't know books are these things that are made out of paper and mm -hmm. you could learn how to do things to your motorcycle with them mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like YouTube but before but you to, YouTube yeah, and you, you have to read there's physical pages that you have to yeah. turn not, not just a web page yeah and um, there are pictures. You can go back and look at the it's pictures. It's how adults used to learn things. Yeah, you know. Now they use YouTube. <laughs> uh, but so I, I found all these ways that guys used to do stuff back during the war when metal was precious. And it's like, well, I don't want to go out and spend like $800 on a tubing bender. How did they do it? How did they make the tanks and planes that saved this country's ass and won the one of the worst, you know, most recent battles in history. And uh, they used a lot of wood and they would, they would uh, shape wood. Wood doesn't compress. And that's why, you know, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but wood doesn't compress. It'll break if it's, uh, uh, you know, like thin and you're trying to set stuff on it. But if you, you have a nice block, it won't compress. So they would just mish, mill uh, dies out of it like you would for tube bending. So I've used my bench as like the base for a tube bender. I have a vice hooked to it. It's got storage underneath. And in these things that Chris was talking about, these like paper page numbered things with words written in them, there's plenty of them. And almost every single one from the 40s or 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s, no matter what you get it for, like I have a motorcycle repair manual that shows you how to build a wooden table first 
to build stuff on. I have a sheet metal book that shows you how to build a wooden table to work on first before you start working sheet metal. I, I think I even have like a book on like, I don't know, metal like casting or something like that or like modifying cranks or something like that. And it shows you how to build a wooden table to work on before you start modifying your crankshaft. So it's like every single book back in the day realized the value of a workspace so much that they would put it right in the first 10 pages with schematics of how to build your work table. You need a place to set stuff. You need to, If you're going to be really building a bike and getting into it, you need a place where you can put your bolts and they're not going to roll underneath the shelving that you've just bought that we recommended. And now you went and bought it, and now you let stuff roll underneath it. And now you got to reach under there with the rat crap and the black widows and dig it out because you're too stupid to have a workbench. So workbench would be my suggestion for this week. I don't have a workbench. <laughs> Chris? I need one. I'm going to get you this book. I need a workbench. <laughs> the first 10 pages is how to build a workbench. <laughs> it's got dimensions and plans. I don't have room and to put a workbench. Aha. You think you don't have room for a workbench, but I'm going to come over here and uh, I'm going to help you. During, Sounds like a good idea. During the cold California winter, when it gets down to 50, I'm going to oh come over God, here. Right? It was like 60 today, 65. I was freezing. It was awesome. Oh, it my made, God. I was cold. I wanted to wear a sweatshirt. That's true. I like wearing sweatshirts, but I rarely can. It's too freaking hot. I wear sweatshirts when it's like, I don't know. But I'm fat, and you're old. Yeah, I'm really old. My, my skin is like up. paper thin. Yeah. I wear one of those puffy old vests all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's how, how old and red I am. Um, but yeah, no. So I'm going to come over here when it gets down into the fifties and we can't ride anymore because <laughs> it's too cold. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to help you build a workbench using this workbench from plan, you know, from, I'm going to go get my, uh, motorcycle workbook and work, show you the, workbench plans. Yeah. It's got workbench plans in it. Right. So yeah, shelving and a workbench. Those are probably aside from tools, I guess you, I guess you're going to need some a good set of tools. But aside from those two things, the, the most important thing you could have is those two things. Now, hey, you built a 510 motor in your bedroom. What are you talking about workbench for? Listen, I had a pretty good-sized nightstand, and that was my, believe it or not, that was my disassembly table. And uh, I think I even set the, the crankcase on there when I was, like, rebuilding the, the bottom end of that thing. So, I mean, work a workbench isn't doesn't have to be from... Uh, hardware store. It doesn't have to be this handmade giant thing with like a, a vice and like a slide uh, channel in it and all this stuff. It can be a coffee table. It can be just some place where you're going to stick your little nuts and bolts and uh, you know the sir clips that hold your wrist pin and the pistons. Because if when those trust me, when those things slide underneath the shelving in your garage and you're reaching into a pile of rat crap that's stuck in a black widow web and there's a snake under there or something, you're going to regret it. So workbench it. What else have you got? We need. We need. I feel like we need at least three things on this list this week. Hmm. You know, a a lift is good, but I I don't think like it's. I would say an air compressor. Oh yeah, there you go. I was gonna say lift. Jesus Christ, you're going to like the next level. Yeah, you know why I know you need a good air compressor because I don't have a good air compressor. Hmm. Chris, I have a good welder, but I don't have two twenty. I know. I fail at some things. Chris, um, on, cha- on page 15 of those workbook ones, is <laughs> this how, how to build, build an, an air compressor? compressor. <laughs> you get yourself an old uh, because a, a beer keg? An air compressor does 
so much that I think people like leave, like you forget about. And if you're working on a bike, like, and a lot of it's the air gun, it's not even like the power tools of it. I mean, the little die grinders and stuff are nice because they're smaller than electric, like four inch die grinders. But yeah, I would, I would say an air compressor would be high up there for, I mean, I know a lot of people that depend, you know, they go dirt bike riding and depending on the weather at the dirt bike track or flat track, cause it's usually dry. Um, you just like blow your bike off with an air gun. Yeah. You know what too? And here's the deal. Air compressors are one of those things that you never realize how awesome they are until you've had one and then you don't have it anymore. Yep. And they are one of the most valuable tools unless you like sitting there with the bike pump pumping up your tires every time you want to change. But I feel like that's a minimum part of an air compressor. Dude, they do so much. Yeah. Okay, when I worked at a body shop, we needed one. I mean, that's how you, all the tools, unless you're working yeah. with like a hand socket, but most of the guys wouldn't even use that. Everything, like almost every damn thing yeah. was air, you know, pneumatic. And so whether you're taking off a fender or a lug nut, you've got your impact out there or your little tiny, you know, very nice, not overly torqued uh, little air wrench, you know what I mean? And then you got nibblers and grinders and sanders, the spray guns and the spray booth. Every single thing was driven off of our big-ass compressor. And you don't need one of those. You don't need like a 250-gallon compressor for your shop, but you know what is nice is at least I would say minimum like a three or five gallon one. Uh, I think I have like a, I think I have like a three gallon one right now, and it's not, it's so crappy. Like it I'd say, it depends on your power. If you're limited to one ten, then buy the best one ten when you can buy. Yeah. Like it, it's probably a five gallon. It's probably all you can get. Because if you start using any kind of like power tool oh, with it, you're done. If you don't, it's going to run nonstop, yeah. and you're going to hate yourself. Yeah. Um, but if you have two twenty, get try to get a decent upright. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's gonna. If you go, you know what? Honestly, a friend of mine had a Harbor Freight one. Like it was the good upright, like twenty five gallon or fifty gallon or something, and it was pretty good size, but it was two twenty. It was a. I mean, for a home garage, it was a good air compressor. Yeah. So if I owned a shop, would I put a Harbor Freight air compressor in it? No. Hell no. But for as much as you're going to use it at home, it, they work great. Yeah. I but forget. you want the capacity. Like, that's so yeah. annoying. Yeah. The shop that I worked at had two, uh, you know, we had a spray booth, two two spray booths, a prep booth. Um, you know, gosh, there was... And then, like, all the tools that the uh, the painters used, so all their sanders and die grinders. And then on the body shop side, we had, like, I don't know, I want to say there was, like, eight or nine body men and all the tools that they're just constantly using, whether it's die grinders, like, and you're sawing through, like, half of half a car that got almost nearly totaled, you know, and, you're, you know, you got everything pneumatic, like I said, and one guy's finishing his fender really nice or like finishing a repair on a door and he's using the the airboard or the di uh the DA sander and you know the other guys over there using his you know impact like they had a drive like literally I'm 
thinking there was like 20 or 25 people in that shop and it was driving all their tools all day. Plus, like you said, you use it to blow off crap. The nice thing about, um, now, now you're not going to need one of those that drives 25 people, obviously. Like Chris said, though, if you're just a home shop, get what you can afford and that's probably going to be a Harbor Freight thing. I do have to say Harbor Freight, you know what? Like, you know how you know a good Harbor Freight thing? Because it's not that much cheaper than like a, a <laughs> cheap good thing. And yeah. and Harbor Freight does have some good stuff, but it's it's as expensive as, you know, a few hundred more bucks and you're going to be buying like the thing that they're you know, I know with. a lot of people that bought like, like I personally, I have a, har- a couple Harbor Freight ratchets. Like my race toolbox, because it gets left in the back of my truck mm. and because everyone uses it and because it goes to the dirt track. Um, it's got Harbor Freight ratchets and I've had great luck with them. I have one at work that I change vice jaws with and I beat on it with a hammer. It's a three H drive ratchet. It was like $17. It was the like nice fancy rubber one and the coolant in the machine ate up the rubber and beating on it with a hammer. But I thought I'm going to buy this cheap ass Harbor Freight ratchet. I'm going to see how long it lasts. And I've had it four or five years now. Mm-hmm. So, and I know people that have bought in like the four inch angle grinders and they were like, I needed one. It was 25 bucks. I thought I'm going to use it for a couple months. It'll break. And then I'll go buy another one. And they're like, that was three years ago. Yeah. So it's s- funny. I've heard some of the stuff about those angle grinders too. And I still, no, I, my angle grinder's not, that's right. It's Makita, but I'm not sure how much better than Harbor Freight that is. I think Makita's actually one of the better ones, isn't it? Like I, the weird baby blue teal color? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure those ones are really good. That's probably why I've had it for like, <laughs> since uh, 1847. And it's like, like I almost went on a rant earlier about buying stuff made in the USA, but are DeWalt or Milwaukee, are any other angle grinders made in the USA? I don't think anything's made in the USA anymore. Especially That's not. Thing. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's super hard to find. Ironically, so. Milwaukee, not, not made me. in Milwaukee. <laughs> I do like Harbor Freight's like marketing. Oh, Milwaukee's got some good stuff. Here, let's put Chicago on there. Yeah, Chicago, Chicago, and uh, what's the other one they use? Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, and Chicago. Yeah, because yeah. I have a set of Pittsburgh um, uh, screwdrivers that I blew apart. Yeah, I don't know. Like Pittsburgh eight, is a small town in China, I guess. Huh? Yeah, eighth time, eighth time I used it. Yeah, Pittsburgh, China. Not many people know about and Pittsburgh, China. If you do, like, if you have a Harbor Freight and you're looking at something, like, hold it in your hand, and you'll know whether it's super cheap or it's decent. Yeah, like, it's not. It's not Snap On. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not. And you know, honestly, like, if you don't have a Snap On guy that comes to your work, it's hard to get Snap On. Now, listen. Snap-on's another one of those things that you might as well... It's like buying an electric vehicle. <laughs> it's like super expensive. <laughs> You'll gonna, never need another one. You're going to oh. pay for it for a long time, but you probably won't need another one for, you know... And uh, and you're, you're not going to pay the charging fee of uh, because it's not going to, like, break or mess up. And if it does, like, snap-on stuff, you give it to them and they fix it. Or They're, like, they're super good about that. My thing with, like, buying snap-on or Mako is... And I have a lot of Craftsman stuff, but you got to be careful. A lot of Craftsman stuff's made in China, too. Yeah. But I'm a machinist. I have really good calipers and really good micrometers <laughs> yeah. and really good indicators. I'm not a mechanic, and I lose a lot of my tools, and a lot of my tools, again, go to the racetrack. So I'm not going to buy Snap-on and take it to the track. Yeah. So. Yeah, I do have to admit that I have, like, my Craftsman stuff stays in my toolbox. The Harbor Freight stuff comes with me on the bike whenever I'm riding around. 
uh, as ironic as that is, because like if I crash, I want the like stuff to fit right and not break. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> like how, but ironically, like I don't want to lose it, or I don't want to be sad if I just have to like throw it in a ditch or use it to bend something back and then just t- toss it because it got bent. So I don't want to do. I don't want to treat my nice tools bad. So I'm with you on that. Like you definitely can go get some cheap tools. And it's not going to make you a cheap person. It's just going to make you somebody that's like, hey, listen, I realize the value of these tools. And the value is that, like, I don't care if they get lost, broken, or if, like, every other thing from Harbor Freight, they're one and done. But I will say this. I am not – I'm trying to make it a point to not shop at Harbor Freight anymore unless it's for, like, a welding magnet or, like, a tarp or something like that. Like, to me, it's not worth it anymore to – you know, I've got enough tools from there that have lasted me long enough that it's like, all right, I've got what I needed. Now the good stuff is what I need, and I'm not going to go there and uh, spend my hard-earned money on the the good stuff that I need now. So, you know, even tire irons and stuff, I wouldn't buy from from there. I bought some before, and it's like you can break a freaking tank with those things, but you can't like it'll just snap your rim in half. So. <laughs> You got to be careful. Either that or they'll just bend and break. Like you get like a, a good batch, bad batch, I feel like from Harbor Freight. Um, so yeah, shelving. So, so far we're at what? Shelving, workbench, and air compressor. And air compressor kind of piggybacked onto after you've, after you've bought your shelving and made your bench and bought your air compressor, you might not be able to afford good tools right away. So Harbor Freight tools, I guess, are okay. <laughs> You, you need something to start working with your bike. One of the best tool sets that I ever bought, uh, it was at Costco. It was 99 bucks, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Uh, Crescent, which, of course, is an adjustable wrench brand, yeah. not sockets and ratchets. But it was a Costco, and, and I think I saw one there later that was almost identical with a different name. Um, Croissant. <laughs> uh, and... It was a pretty complete metric and standard set with three different, you know, quarter, three-eighths, half-inch drive ratchet, you know, an extension for each, some deep deep well sockets, but it was like 100 bucks. It was yeah. a great starter kit. So, you know, and Sears always has, like, you know, Craftsman always has, like, kits that are, if you buy a set, you know, you can get a pretty decent amount of ratchets and sockets and wrenches for two or three hundred bucks you can get some decent ratchets for 300 bucks <laughs> uh yeah and if you think 99 dollars sounds like a lot you're like dude i just spent like 99 dollars on shelves on your guy's recommendation because i didn't listen to the rest of this episode i just ran out right away and bought <laughs> shelves you idiots listen 99 bucks might sound like a lot but go buy uh like a torque wrench from snap-on and then oh. yeah when you're 250 dollars in the hole and you're like oh yeah. my god but you're going to be gifting it to your great grandkids and it's coming out of your paycheck every week and it's yeah because uh, there's 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 if you don't work at a shop you don't know there's nasty names for the snap-on truck for the snap-on dudes but um but yeah, $99 is a great price. And if you can find kits like that, that has like a socket set, a screwdriver set, uh, might have like a plier set, you know, needle nose pliers. I can't even tell you how many times those things come in handy. I've lost some before and thought, ah, it's the needle nose ones, the least used ones. But then when you need them, you're like, holy crap. Like, I really, really need those now. There's literally nothing in this world that I can make to uh, substitute those stupid needle nose pliers. And so for 99 bucks, just go get yourself 
uh, a set of like everything. And it might not be the best stuff, like you know, like we're saying, but it's it's better than going out buying piece by piece by piece uh, uh, that same toolkit. Even from Harbor Freight, you're going to be spending except ten millimeter sockets because you're going to lose. Oh those. god, yeah, you're going to need about eighteen, eight, and ten, and twelve. So probably like you know, you're just going to want to stock up. But go to the swap meet and see if they have bags of those that you can <laughs> just buy. But but yeah, for ninety nine bucks, those sets that come like that, I don't think you could buy those individually for ninety nine bucks, even like of lesser quality. So that's that's a good point. Um, buy tools and sets at first until you get enough that you don't need them. Um, and I got some Craftsman sockets. Uh, that was like the very first tools I think I ever got was Craftsman sockets. And uh, go to the swap meets. That's another good thing. Yeah. Go to the swap meets. You're gonna find some old dude that's going out of business that's like selling. Like, or his, or he died, or he's in the hospital now, and his kids are getting rid of all of his tools. I found some crazy tools that were probably worth. They were probably from the seventies, and they're still probably worth like eighty dollars a piece. Well, for, they're probably made better than anything oh, now. Yeah, you have to be careful at swap meets. The guy that has the booth selling tools, he knows what they're worth. Um, which, so he usually gets better than what I think you should pay at a swap meet, but that's up to you. Yeah. One good thing I will, like what I recommend at a swap meet, I don't go there looking for half inch and nine sixteenths and eight and 10 and 12 millimeter. When I go, it's like, I know what size axle nut I have. And I look for rent, like the old double open end wrenches, um, for my sportster, uh, my speedway bike, I found some metrics. Like if you know what size those are, um, it's a great place to look because you find like the one and it, it might be a 10 or $12 single wrench. But if you went into Sears or snap on, it would be way, way more, but you find this old quality, like drop forged inch and a quarter or 23 millimeter or something like that. So yeah, that would be my recommendation for wrenches at a swap meet. And sometimes you'll find that some of those old tools, like adjustable wrenches and stuff, they were so finely adjustable where nowadays it's like two turns and it's like all the way open to, you know, like that's the full range is two turns. And so you're not getting that fine, uh, super, super, super fine settings to where you can, you know, get it snug onto a bolt without like stripping the head or something like that. Like all these new ones, there's just such crap and there's like play in them and stuff. Those old ones did have zero play and they were so fine. And it's, you know, like you're saying, they're like drop forged and they're still working like you just bought them off the truck, you know, 60 years ago, back when I was 60. Um, And so, yeah, that's a, that's a good thing is the swap meet is a good place for tools. Go to a bike swap meet, SoCal swap meet. The, the last one's coming up on December uh, 31st and uh, you know, go out there and you know, that's going to be a lot of bike specific stuff. So, I mean, that's, that'd be a really good place to go if you have specialty tools. I know when I needed to um, take the swing arm off my KZ, it's like a really weird socket size and uh, it's like a 33 or something like that. And it's like just this weird size that like most people don't make. And so you're, uh, you know, you're looking for it on SAE and it just doesn't translate over really well. And, um, and then so you go to a swap meet and sometimes you're going to find some weird stuff like that. Or you're going to go and see, oh, there's, look at that. That dude's got like 50 Kawasaki's. And then you look and he's got like a bunch of sockets that fit like all the different swing arms or, or, uh, you know, the axle nuts and all this weird stuff. So yeah, keep in mind, we're going to get into like the actual bike stuff later, but you know, and, and all the little 
tips and tricks for that stuff. So this is kind of getting ahead of that groove. But yeah, like you shouldn't be looking out for special tools at this point if you're just trying to get a place to start to work. But definitely when you are looking for tools, even if you're just looking for your very first set, Costco, 99 bucks, swap me if you can get like an old dude's tool tool set for 99 bucks. Maybe it might be better in another episode, but we've covered it a little bit. Uh, a new happening thing is community garages. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that's another thing too, is that, uh, if you are going to build a bike and you don't have a place to work on and you literally can't, you know, you can't hack out someplace in your garage. Um, and you can't, I mean, I went from having my own separate garage at our old house to now sharing with my wife. And so her car's in there is, and I can't even work on my bike uh, like major, like I couldn't tear it apart. I don't think if her car was in there and at my old one, I had like the whole, I could have break dance next to it as I was tearing it apart. You know what I mean? And then, uh, and then had like a, another bike next to it, basically doing the same thing. And so even I've had to like pare down my space and I still have all the shelvings and I still have all the, the benches. But if I didn't have that and I absolutely had to park in the garage with her, what would I be doing? I'd probably be doing the community garage, and and most of them you don't even have to have tools. So if you're if yeah. you don't if you don't want to make the investment to uh, get all this stuff so that you can do it, like I I like sometimes go out at like eleven o'clock at night and work if it's going to be quiet. Of course, I'm not. Well, using a lot it. of people that live like if you're in the L.A. area as we are, you might not have a garage. Yeah, that's so true. You might not have any space, and I know people that work in their like parking space. Yeah, <laughs> and park on but the dude, street. But you don't want to leave tools out in a place like that no, either. Not like, at all. You're, you're carrying a toolbox up and back to your apartment. And hell, when I lived in that apartment and I tore that five ten motor apart, I was tearing it apart in an apartment, possibly getting oil all over the floor. I mean, I was that was pretty stupid of me, but I t- I took precautions. But at the same time, like. A community garages really weren't a thing, especially for cars. I feel like for motorbikes, it's much more, more prevalent. For cars, you know what it's called? A repair shop. <laughs> You're paying the dude to... So yeah, he's right. Like In a bigger cities like LA, where urban sprawl is crazy and it's getting even harder and harder to find places with garages out in the suburbs and stuff, community garage might be the place you want to you want to go then you don't have to make the investment in the tools you don't have to make the investment in the lift you don't have to make the investment in the air compressor you're going to pay for all that stuff in your monthly fee um but at the same time you're going to have most community garages have a dedicated expert there that is either a mechanic or you're going to have a community of people that have experience and as long as you have the service manual walk you through it you know if you're too too scared to do it so that's that is a great point and we will my intentions at least uh we, we've only talked to dave at cerberus and there's so many uh garages especially here in socal and i know uh all the way up to norcal there's so many uh garages that do this tr- sort of stuff and a lot of them are found in big urban areas so i'm, I'm guessing like atlanta probably has some i'm guessing there's some in new york uh, I'm guessing there's some in like Austin or Dallas or something. San Francisco, obviously. Uh, Terre Haute, Indiana probably has one. Um, Cleveland, I think, has one. And so um, what's the biggest city? I heard there's a real cool one in Santa Cruz. I heard there's a, a dopey <laughs> one up there in Santa Cruz, oh, by not, the way. It's not very good. It's not very good unless you like seeing people naked all the time. 
hey, I guess I, I guess there's a good one in Santa Cruz. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, there's they're all over, and I mean that one doesn't charge anything from what I hear. So you want some cheap nakedness uh, oh, and get nice. your motorcycle worked on? Go up there. And I think a lot of them are like subscription. You can do it by the hour, but it's like a couple hundred bucks a month. Yeah. And a lot of them, they allow with that like 200 bucks a month, you're allowed to like store a bike there. Yeah. So if you have a project bike, that's where you put it. And it's it's not bad. Like it's not a bad deal at all. Nope. And Cerberus specifically, that, that's the deal. You store your bike there. And I saw Dave posting on Instagram was showing motor teardown. Uh, on, he's got about 80,000 CB50 motors and or CB750 motors. And he was showing people how to tear them apart. And there was two uh, people per motor. And I, I want to say there was like four or five motors. So he's got a pretty good size class. And he teaches that. He teaches suspension. His uh, Jennifer does, I think, upholster seats or used to upholster oh, seats. Cool. So she teaches like not only that, but she'll teach, you know, classes. They, they host Lucky Wheels up here, hosts shows left and right they just had the good luck show in january they're having the women's show um they ha- have the white lightning camp out like they're also these garages and like cc up in oregon these garages are becoming like havens for events and shows and like gatherings so and uh I, classes that was a hard word for me to get out there i couldn't think of that word <laughs> i failed so many of them that i couldn't even think of the word but um so yeah, you could learn a lot from a community garage. So that's a good hey. Uh I think we're done with that subject, right? So I have a new Absolutely I not. Have, I have a new subject. I'm super excited about this by the way. All right. So one of my most looked up to mechanics, one of my favorite is Emma. And I think I caught her with being wrong with something last week. Oh, I certainly did, and I wrote him an email about it. Oh. Was it about the three-wheeler? No, but give me a so someone offered to give him a three-wheeler and they said Honda Big Red and then everyone was talking about the ATC 250R. The Big Red was more of a farm three-wheeler. It was like a 185, I think. Uh-huh. Um, that one is the Big Red. It had like the racks. It was like kind of a turd. I don't think the 250R was considered Big Red. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I knew Big Red was the one that had zero suspension, right? That's what I thought, but now Big this balloon one, tires. Yeah, when I Google, I just now Googled it too. I thought I, when I was listening to it, I'm like, the 250 wasn't Big Red. Um, it was like the fatter tires, but it did have front suspension, I think, just oh, a okay. little bit. Um, so I think. It was two rubber bands that. Uh, <laughs> but it was like drum brakes. Like you can see the drum brake in the front. Oh, yeah. So. Dude, I don't even know if the one. Me and my buddy, when I first moved to California, my neighbor, uh, I don't even think that thing had a brake on the front. The Oh, I was going to say the 185, all the way up to, I think, a 185, or maybe just a 110. They were super rigid all the way around. Yeah, it was a 110. We used to jump that thing and then just bounce and bounce and bounce. <laughs> yeah. So maybe uh, I'd have to listen again to make sure, but I think I caught her. Yeah, I caught her on this, uh, and I actually emailed Liza Liza told us to come up there and tell Emma in person. I told her no dice. I would be starstruck. Uh, Emma's yeah. like seriously my hero. Yeah, she. I'd love to arm wrestle Emma for some beads. I don't know why I said that. It's just <laughs> something I think I'd like to do. But um, but yeah, I caught her on uh, talking about the 
something 500. God, I can't even think about it now. Oh, the, the Vulcan. They were talking about mm-hmm. the Vulcan and being a, a 500, half of a Ninja 1000. And I have to say, Emma, I don't, I don't think it is. They're it? talking about the Vulcan S, which is the smallest Vulcan, and it's a 650. So it's not half of a thousand. And it's a. And it's pretty much the Ninja 650 motor. Although I told yeah. Liza not to split hairs, it used the 650 versus head, uh, and it was well the cylinders actually. The head was totally different. It was its own because it looked and air did, cooled. Didn't they like have a thin. 500 Ninja too? They had. They might the have F- had a 500. I guess they pair- did have an EX 500, but that was like. Yeah, I think that 90s. was kind of the motor she was talking about. Emma is probably gets uh, off her meds once in a while. Like the ni- the Ninja Thousand is a pretty hot rod motor, and I doubt mm-hmm. the Versus Five Hundred is very much of it. it. I mean, maybe maybe we're there wrong. Is maybe no it Versus Five Hundred or whatever she was talking about. Yeah, oh. that, that's what I was saying. Is there oh, is no not even a Versus, versus Five Hundred? Oh, okay, it's a six fifty, and she was saying that the Vulcan Five Hundred oh, was, ha- and I was like, there is no Vulcan Five Hundred, not to my knowledge, anyway. Not that there wasn't. Maybe I'm wrong now. Maybe. Emma, why she's, don't you make a trip down here and tell me? She's going to call us out on her shit. I doubt it. But because uh, I had to email Liza. Well, and you know how Liza is. She barely reads the emails. We she were strategic. Says, we put this at the end of the show, and yeah. they never listened to the whole thing. That's true. Liza, I hope you don't hear this. <laughs> but yes, the Vulcan S is uh, not half of a thousand. It's a 650. Um, yeah, so hey, I think we got through... I think we got through most of the build that we're going to talk about this week uh, as part of our like getting your custom on and uh, getting you to the, the front page of Bike XF. You got to start somewhere. You can't just have a bike magically appear and get on the front of that website. So go out and get some tools, my good friend. Get a workbench. Buy an old book. I don't care if it's like How to Wire Your House for 110 by Farmer Joe back in the 1800s or... Uh, how to uh, rebuild a crankshaft from, ca- uh, you know, melting old pots together and sand casting it in your backyard from like the 1940s. They're all going to have how to build a workbench first <laughs> in the front. So, so shelving, a workbench, an air compressor if you can afford it. I'll go get a three gallon or a one and a half gallon pancake one from Harbor Freight for like 80 bucks. It'll pump up your tires and squirt off the dirt from out. It won't do much else. I have one. Yeah. And they're oilless too, so they won't last super long. But yeah. again, for most people's garages, they'll last years. Yeah. And that's what I have currently too. I, I got rid of my five gallon because I didn't have a space for it when I moved. But uh, if you can afford a five gallon, get that. Because a three, a three or one and a half gallon, whatever mine is, it ain't going to drive no, no power tools. It won't even do like a pneumatic screwdriver <laughs> and if you're good at motivating and you live close to pasadena i could probably let you bring your bike over and work on it as long as you help me work on mine yeah and you got to help him clean out his garage yeah which is what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna use chris's garage as part of as our, our project as example. part of our project example for our write-up <laughs> Did we get to Instagrams? Did we even? I didn't even pick one this week. I've been slacking on yeah. Instagram picks of the week. We don't need no Instagrams. Let's just do some events. What's coming up? Well, like I said, if you're hearing us tonight, uh, it's Friday night. The silent auction's happening at Iron and Resin. 
Um, the 31st, the SoCal Cycle Swap is going on um, at the Lou Davis Memorial Stadium down there in Long Beach. The 31st is the Run to the Roses. I'm going to try and do that. Are you going to do that? Yeah, I think I'm going to try and do that. All right. I got to I gotta work on the duck a little bit, but uh, I could take the Harley, but I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably going to be other Harleys, so you, you could be that guy. Maybe. January 13th, the Veggie Plate Classic out at Paris. Sold uh, out. Sold out. Okay, maybe not for fans. Show up. The races are full, though. Yeah. It's literally on a dirt uh, plateau. I doubt it could sell out for fans. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the races are full. That's pretty exciting. Um, also on the 30th. There's also Speedway. Right. Is that, is that going to be the 13th? Yeah, both Speedway and Hooligan. Oh, so my God. Like, yeah. If you've never seen a Speedway bike at Paris Quarter Mile, you're missing out. Yeah, holy cow, that's gonna be awesome. Um, they're, they're like two or three seconds a lap faster than Brad Baker. Yeah, and Jeffrey Carver. <laughs> yeah, and current champion and uh, Cycle News Rider of the Year, Jared Meese. Yeah, uh, January thirteenth, also Lucky Wheels Garage, the women's moto show. Uh, that's gonna be returning February 9th through eleventh. Is the one show in Portland, Oregon, and uh, hooligan, handsome hooligan <laughs> over here is gonna be. <laughs> racing that one um go check it out yes the 24th rick james's art ride you guys want to hear a little uh, bumper for that i'll throw one in here for you hey guys my name's rick james i'm having an art show oceanside california uh, my instagram is s a e underscore c a i have a lot of other artists coming out a lot of great food a lot of great beer local craft beer of course and that is on saturday the 24th at legacy brewing here in Oceanside, California, 363 Airport Road. Again, that's Saturday, February 24th. Don't miss it. Come on out and check out Rick James. Um, and so that's going to be happening at Legacy Brewing and Oceanside Brewing. Legacy Brewing. I guess I do have trouble saying that word. Legacy Brewing in Oceanside. And uh, we hope to be there. That's the 24th. Keep uh, look out on Instagram for Art Ride CA. And if Junkie can ride from Pasadena to Oceanside on a 250, you can ride there too. Yeah. Dude, I ride from Pasadena to Mexican border and back twice a week. Vegas really impressed me, but <laughs> Oceanside is pretty good. That's a lot of freeway in. Yeah. Dude, Vegas is... I'd love to do... the. I did Vegas the hard way, which is the freeways. I'd love to do it the easy way, which is the dirt roads and uh, like the L.A. Barstow to Vegas on the team. Uh, I want to do that on my trusty. Yeah. Next year, we should do that. I've been saying that for three years. I know. I'm going to say it for three more years till till I... uh, It comes at such a bad time of the year for me. Yeah. I'm like, I've raced way too much. I don't want to race right now. (laughs) Yeah. And it's Thanksgiving. (laughs) And I gotta swap. I gotta do a front brake and suspension and tires. And we have families. Oh yeah, those things. <laughs> what? What the hell? So, can you guys please move the date for the LA B to V so that we can actually do it one of these years? If someone wants to spend money on my bike and set it up for me, I'll do it <laughs> on Thanksgiving weekend. And Just be if, like, I have XR six fifty forks. Here you go. And if somebody wants to fly him out to Cleveland so he can race the guy on the H2 with the, one of Phil's borrowed zeros. Oh, uh, give me the H2. <laughs> I'll laugh on the zero. I'll have a huge erection on the H2. Yes. Well, <laughs> I, I got that on tape. Uh, so, yeah, that's our show. You got any cool sign-offs? Uh, all right, that's, that's, it. that's it. See you guys. That's all I got. Bye, guys.
have a huge erection. Oh my God, what's this? From 1990 to 2009, a 500 Vulcan? Oh my God, there's gonna be hell to pay for this. I'm gonna have some serious questions to answer. Oh my God. Hashtag hooligan Jesus for president. When you've lost, you know, you're basically your places to, that you uh, live, which is your home. Like, a, should I edit this out? Uh, you know, we. I guess she thought we supported her by by making everyone look at her stuff, and I guess we did. So she supported us. Motocross. Whatever it is, you got to get out there and make them act. Oh, shit. Uh-oh. There goes there goes that. That's okay. Quit recording. Yeah, that one's done. What's your sign-off? There's your sign-off. Yeah, what's it's your done. sign-off? There's your sign-off. I figured it's the holidays. We haven't done the word of the week or the Instagram. You know, the other morning, I'm driving, it was like four in the morning, and these little three big old raccoons crossed the street, and then like right after that, there was a coyote. He was like chasing them or something, and they didn't know it yet, but they were about to be coyote snack. I'm just waiting for the day where like, I see a bear cruising down the street, you know, like come down maybe from the fires or on trash day. I'm going to start sending people pictures of my boobs. So hopefully they... <laughs> they that's for, the that's only for the Patreon subscribers. That's true. <laughs> it's Krampus. You didn't think I'd forget about you this year, did you? All you little kids in Germany, get ready for an ass whipping. Ass whipping your ass! <laughs>